0: Bible, if you'd open it to Matthew twenty eight sixteen through twenty, that's where we'll be reading from this morning. Matthew twenty eight sixteen through twenty. Um, we are NCC, and um, I, I believe seven years ago we set out, and uh, we kind of had this goal. And I don't think we specifically said it like this. Then we. You know, sometimes when you set out toward things, you learn how to articulate it a little bit better as you go. And so as we learn to articulate a little bit better as we go, you might have heard this. We, we set out, um, I really believe this is true, that there's five, kind of five kinds of churches. You have declining churches that are declining in number, which we have all over our nation. Um, we have plateaued churches that are sort of just leveled out um, to where they are. Anybody been a part of a plateaued or declining church? Anybody? In there? Some of you have, right? Um, Um, And then you have growing churches that are growing numerically um, in attendance, and then you have reproducing churches, churches that are beginning to kind of see other things built, right, And, and, and made out from where they are that are independent, autonomous, good works that are starting out from them. And then you have multiplicative churches, and multiplicative churches are not just seeing reproduction done, but that which they've reproduced are reproducing themselves. There's these kind of healthy extending units out of kingdom growth. And when you look at the New Testament in the book of Acts, which we're going to kind of Screwed around this today. Um, <clears throat> what you see is churches that are multiplicative, that they're reproducing in every level. I mean, when, when the church was formed, like Jesus comes, he dies on the cross, he commissions the disciples, which we're going to look at today, he commissions the disciples to go and make disciples. They actually did it. And when they actually did it, it the product, the result, was a multiplicative movement that grew faster than anything that has ever grown in this whole, it was, a, it was a movement that is still moving and existing right here today in Northeast Ohio and to the very ends of the earth. And so this is what Jesus kind of set in course. But but I believe this kind of metric is also true for each of us in this room because no church is is greater than the individuals, right? We are the church. And so when we say we are NCC, what we mean is we are the church. And so so the question for you in your life, are you declining in your faith and your growth? Are you plateaued, you're just kind of good? Not better, not worse, just kind of stagnant? Are you growing in your faith, which is a good thing? Are you reproducing? Is there something existing beyond you in your life because of your investment, your engagement? Are you multiplying? Is the things and the people that you've invested in themselves healthy enough to give away that which you've given to others. I can't assess anyone in this room on that. Only we can assess ourselves. I believe one of the greatest attributes of a growing Christian life is a life of introspection, where you truly and honestly look at yourself. Sort of painful, right? Someone um, asked me recently to do a 360 review. If you don't know what that is, it's when you get six people around you to like fill out a survey about you, which I've had these done. And then you sit with someone and they tell you all of the terrible things about yourself. Um, I'm a big believer in introspection because whenever you are an actually introspective person, when you sit down with people that assess you, you're like, yeah, I know. I know, I stink at that. I wish I was better. And so what I would challenge us to this morning is simply allowing ourselves to be introspective. Actually letting the Lord push into where we are not not feeling offense by the Lord, not trying to prove ourselves and saying, but I've done this, I've done that, I've done this. But simply say, Lord, I want to obey you. I want to be faithful to you. And so Lord, will you help me to grow where I need to? Everybody in this room needs to grow. Raise your hand if you feel like you need to grow in your faith. Anybody in this room? All right, we're all in agreement. Let's do that. But, but I will say this, springtime is a good example of this. Um, Right now, um, what in the last three weeks, and anybody's grass grown a lot in the last three weeks, I mean, it's just out of control, right? If you put a little, if you put a little fertilizer down, it's just like you wish you didn't right now. Um, springtime is a time that, that we've, we, we visually see what growth looks like. And I think seasons are sometimes a good way to also introspect our soul is, are you in a season of springtime where you're seeing, seeing growth around you in life? Um, are, you, are you in summertime where things are, are well and good? Not, you're not in drought, but you're just in a healthy season of summer. Maybe you're in a fall where things are beginning to dwindle and don't feel very good and you don't know what to do. Or maybe you're in winter where things are a little bleak, Northeast Ohio winters especially, are a little bleak and dark. Here's the thing. God knows what season you are in. And I believe what God wants for you is faithfulness in whatever season you find yourself. But, but I also believe that God wants us to live in springtime. And the question is, is how, can you, how can you get there? So, if you will, this morning, in reverence and honor of reading God's word, stand with me as we read Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. I, uh, I apologize on the front end of this, although you this is against the rules of preaching, you should never apologize. Um, this is my very favorite text of scripture. And you've probably heard me preach this if you've been around here for very long, um, multiple times. So I'm preaching it again, deal with it. That's my apology. It didn't sound like one, did it? <clears throat> Listen as I read out loud. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father, we pray this morning that you would help us to look inwardly, to consider, Lord, where we are. God, we know that you know us, that you know exactly where we are. And Lord, we believe that you do desire for us growth for a vibrant life in you. Jesus, you said that the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but you have come to bring life and life more abundant. Jesus, we believe there's a peace even in the storm. We believe that there is hope even in the bleakness of winter. And so, Lord, wherever we find ourselves today, would you meet us here? And, Lord, would you teach us from your word? Help us. Help us to live obedient lives to all that you've said. Jesus, we love you. We ask this in your name. Amen. You can be seated. So as we look at this passage, just to set it up in context of where it is, so how the Great Commission, this is what kind of we call this section of text, the Great Commission, where we find it in the life of Jesus, is this is the moment before he ascends to heaven. So Easter, right, Jesus comes and he is arrested, he's he's crucified, he's buried, he rises from the dead, and he has these appearances, 40 appearances, for 40 days, he has um, what we have recorded about 11 appearances in these 40 days. And this is one, right before he ascends to heaven. We also see this in Acts 1.8. It's recorded in, in, in other gospels. Is Jesus is going to give this commission to go and make disciples. And in this commission to go and make disciples, he is sort of giving the groundwork of, of, of what they should do. Now, this is kind of an interesting moment in time. Because what happens is, is he tells this to a bunch of, a bunch of um, cowards, Everyone had deserted Jesus, right? We, we were just Easter, like, you know, I mean, everyone was gone. Everyone had left Jesus all alone, and now he, he rises from the dead, and he begins to teach them, and has these kind of calling them back, right? He sits with Peter, and he says things to Peter like, if you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. And he's bringing them back into the fold. And, but even when he gives this commission, they weren't prepared, to fully accomplish it because they hadn't right, received the Holy Spirit. And so even this, he's going to send them to an upper room and as they wait, the Spirit is going to fall upon them and they're going to go out and they're going to make disciples. And so just so we're clear on the, the whole idea of this is that this is not like four things. I'm not going to teach us like, here's four things you can do to make disciples because it doesn't really work that way because Jesus is the one who makes disciples He is the one who accomplishes this work. The question is, have we humbled ourselves underneath his mighty hand enough to allow him to do this work through us? This is not about how awesome you are. This is not about how gifted you are. This is an all-in. Everybody who is filled with the Holy Spirit has the capability to do this work. This is not a highbrow faith, This is not a seminary student kind of faith. This is a fisherman kind of faith, a normal everyday person empowered with the Holy Spirit of God accomplishing this great task. So the first thing that we see in the text, and maybe to wrap our mind around, is the master of the mission. So if you're filling out with me, first thing we see is the master of the mission. So who is this one that can make such a bold command or claim for us to do? The master of the mission. So the master of the mission is Jesus, right? Jesus, and it says, and kind of go, we're going to really focus on 18 through um, 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So what he says is he makes this huge saying that all authority is mine on heaven and earth. That so spanning any place that you will find yourself, any existence, I have all authority. I possess it on heaven and earth. It has all been given to me. Jesus possesses all authority. Now here's the thing about authority uh, this, uh, this last week I was, I was talking with someone who doesn't live around here. Um, and uh, I was talking to someone and, and uh, he made a comment to me that was kind of peculiar. He says, I really love it when I do employee reviews because it's the two times a year that I actually have power. And what's kind of funny about that is we all know like dude doesn't have any power, right? If, if you only have it when you're standing over people, none of them see you. In the week to week and day to day with power, see, I believe in life we 're all trying to grapple toward power. Anybody like power in the room? Not very many of us raise our hand because we know it's a terrible thing to say. But some people really do love love power. But what Jesus is saying here is, "I have all power, and I have all authority." And so if you want to see anything accomplished. I'm not like contriving this. I'm not making it up. I'm not sticking my chest at him. Jesus is just saying simply, this is fact. I'm the only one who's accomplished what I can accomplish. He's moving into simply his identity, that he is the king of kings. Fact. He is the Lord of lords. He's the prophet of prophets. He's the priest of priests. Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess him. Even those who willfully don't, they will bow one day before the King of kings and the Lord. He possesses all authority. Another thing, though, we see in the end of this, notice this in verse uh, verse 20. It says, Teaching and observe all that I have commanded you, and behold... I am with you to the end of the age. I love these bookends of the Great Commission because the bookends of the Great Commission are this. I have all power and authority, and here's the task, which we're going to get into that in a second. Here's the task of what you're going to do to obey me, but just simply so you know, if you do this... I got you, I'm with you. I have all authority and I'm not leaving you alone. And so the great news of the Great Commission is that we are not alone. Again, this is not up to us, this is up to him. He has the authority to command such a thing and he has the power to be with us as we do it. He promises his present to this. So he says, when you do this, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I believe this is true for churches. I believe God's hand is on the North Canton Chapel. And the reason I believe it, and if you ever change this, then you'll lose the hand of God, I believe, upon your ministry. You can contrive things and grow. Tons of churches do it. A lot of churches in Northeast Ohio do it. It's gimmicky, and you do all these things, and people come, and you attract people, and you give them iPads, and you do all these cool things. Give moms money on Mother's Day. You attract people, you do this. And that's cool. People can do that. That's a thing. Some of you didn't know that was a thing. You're like, where are they paying? I'm going there next Sunday. Uh, uh <clears throat> That's what we're going to do when we, anyway, never mind. Um, I believe that when, when you engage in this Great Commission work, you get the presence of the Savior. When you engage in the Great Commission work, and that's bigger than this room on a Sunday morning. That's way bigger than this room on Sunday. It's individuals saying that I am going to go after something multiplicative with my life. And what Jesus promises, he says, I will be with you when you do this, when you go after this kind of work. So the question is, is why don't we? Why don't we go after this? Why, why do we neglect the master of the mission uh, this week? Um, Uh, Now, I'm not going to act like I'm the greatest dad in the world or whatever. So we just had a baby. And uh, there's a lot more activity I do around the house, which doesn't say a lot because I'm not saying I ever do a ton. Um, I'm not as good as I want to be in regards to that. So we, I was cleaning the house, right, top to bottom, I was, and I was hot, like, I took my shirt off, I'm like, I'm going after this, someone's like, please don't ever say that again, and so, <laughs> like, I'm cleaning the house, me and Karis, Deb's laughing at me, I'm like bandanaed up, like, I'm ready to go, I'm, I'm really tackling the house, and so I'm in Karis's bedroom, she's our five-year-old, and I said, uh, found this little jewelry box I didn't know she had, I thought it was one of the other girls, and I said, hey, Karis, um, we, so this is our deal with ear piercings. Um, Whenever they want to, they can do it. We don't really care. And so um, I said, Karis, when do you think you're going to get your ears pierced? And she thought for a second. She goes, eh, probably when I'm not afraid anymore. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> great, great phrase, right? Uh, <laughs> probably when I'm not afraid anymore. I, I think that's true with the Great Commission for all of us. Is We'll engage in it probably when we're not afraid anymore. See, I think fear is the one paralyzing thing for the Christian. I think, what if I do it wrong? What if I don't have enough? I'm not capable of this. And we, 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 we mount up all these reasons why we can't. I'm too busy. I have this, I have that, I have to raise my kids. When I do this, when I get here, when I... All of these things are these underlying fears of inadequacy, fears of incapability, but but uh, but I believe what Jesus he's going to say this right even in his in his, even in his resurrected body he's going to say do not be afraid until we get a glimpse of the King of Kings the Master of the Mission the one who has all power and authority the one whose prom, whose presence is promised to us when we wrap our minds around a, a, a God a King who is for us not against us we have no fear. We have the master of the mission by our side, empowering us, indwelling us. There is nothing to be afraid of. But the reason I believe, and I'll say it personally, why I forget. See, I frequently lose perspective. We see this all throughout the Bible. We see these things in life that just seem like giants, whether it's the situation, the stage of our life. We just feel like we, we can't get past it. And this isn't new to humanity. It's not new to us. The Bible speaks of this frequently. The people of Israel did this all the time. God would give these great achievements and he would do these great and wonderful things and they'd go through it and they're like, man, God is so good. I mean, have you ever had God do anything good in your life where you just look back and you're like, I can't believe God took me through this, gave me this through this. But somewhere along the way, we forget and the next thing ahead of us when we say it's too big it's going to take me over I can't, I can't accomplish it and our situations our stages, our situations seem far too big because we forget that the day before and the day before that and the day before that and all the way back to the day in which I came to know Jesus that he has been with me He has been for me. I've had some bad days and I've had some good days. I've been at some mountaintops and I've been at some deep valleys. And I'll tell you this for me, I've had all those things, some of them with you. God has never left me. He has never forsaken me. And he has walked with me through it all. And he will. We do not need to be afraid. We have a master of this mission. And when we get a glimpse of him and keep our eyes set on him, we can live without fear. Second thing that we see in the text is the activity of the mission. The activity of the mission. Notice the master of the mission comes First. Right? The activity isn't the first thing, the master of the mission. And so these things do, I believe, you have to have order in this because if you just go after this whole kind of like religious legalistic kind of thing and you say, okay, what do I need to do? Is there anyone that just wants a to-do list in the, in the room? So here's your tension. Like, don't forget the master because if you don't take the master into the to-do, you don't actually get anything done, right? This is completely dependent on him being present with us. So you can do all kinds of good things for God, but you can't do, if you don't do it with God, it doesn't really matter to God. You with me? So the activity of the mission... He says, go and make disciples. Now make disciples, this is the emphatic in the text. This is the the big idea. This is where Jesus, right? I mean, he gave his whole life and ministry to making disciples. And so in this text, what Jesus is gonna do, the imperative, and this is actual literary, the imperative of the text is make disciples. So what is it to be a disciple? What is it to make disciples? Quick, Ryan Johnston definition of this is to imitate the practice of Jesus in the lives of others. Simply to imitate the life, uh, to imitate the practice of Jesus in lives of others. And you just take this to what he was saying like, who was he speaking to? His disciples. And what he, had he been doing for three years with them? Discipling them. And what Jesus is simply saying is hey, what I've done with you, now go and do it with others. And so kind of the idea of a disciple, again, another Ryan Johnston definition of, of what is a disciple, is, is, is someone becoming more like the one they love, right? And so, right, becoming more like the one you love. And so the whole idea of discipleship is becoming more like the one I love, Jesus, and helping someone else become more like the one they love, this, is, this scene, I love that definition because, see, you can go to Bible studies all day long and not love Jesus. You can do all kinds of Christian tasks and not love Jesus. I've been around the church long enough. I've seen a lot, a lot of people do a, a lot of things for God that don't love God. They love themselves. They love their platform. They love to be applauded. But they don't love him. And that's not to beat anyone up. That's just to kind of, I hope... Show an obvious of what maybe many of you have already seen and know in your life. So becoming more like the one we love. So he says, make disciples of what? Pontata, ethne is the Greek in this, of all nations. So, so, so what's the reach of this discipleship plan? Northeast Ohio, Canton, what, what is it? It's, it's the whole world. So um, I'm just going to say this. If you think that we should only do missions in Canton, then you disagree with God. And you, you need to deal with that and probably if you kind of have that view you have sort of like racial problems not just like black and white but like ethnicity globally so so when he says pontata ethne that means right that means asian that is black that is european that is like middle eastern that is everywhere When we get to heaven, who will we worship with? All tribes, all tongues. So if you got an issue with all tribes and all tongues, you better resolve it because for all eternity, you're gonna be with all tribes and all tongues. There's not like this Anglo section of heaven. Maybe there will be for you. God loves you that much. I don't think so. All tribes, Panta, so Jesus, what is, what is the expansion, right? I mean, the greatest places of, of, of evangelical growth in the world right now, it is isn't America. It's Africa, Asia, there's revivals breaking out in kind of all kinds of pockets of the world. If you think we're like, we, we got like lock, stock, and barrel on this thing, we don't. We're actually in America beginning to, like if you went through Rooted, It was written by a pastor in Africa. We are not leading as much as we think we are anymore. This is a global movement, and we are global Christian citizens of all nations, right? So make disciples of all nations, so all people, to increasingly become more like the one they love. So in this, we have to be a disciple to make disciples, so just... Quick application point. If you aren't, like, you, you feel like you're not growing into the one, like, growing to be like the one you love very much right now, you probably shouldn't make disciples. But you probably should humble yourself and go to someone and say, hey, I see you walk in love and look like Jesus. Could you help me walk in love and look like Jesus? To be a disciple, the core ingredient, I believe, is, begins with humility, the, abil- the ability to lower myself and go to another and say, please teach me what it looks like to look like Jesus. And I don't say that arrogantly up here, like, I think people should come to me. I've spent my life going to men that I see that are further along than me and asking them to invest in my life and help me to love and look like Jesus. I believe that is the core, core, core of the Christian faith. So, make disciples. Now, everything else, all the other verbs in this text are going to kind of describe this one. So it says, and so, so go, which is kind of a way to interpret this would be as you go, every day, everywhere. That's some of our language here. We, we exist to be the church every day to everyone. Every day, everywhere, as we go, what do we do? We baptize, we saw that happen up here. But don't just think this is like a dunking in the water. We can do that at any time, anywhere. What this is is an immersion saying that I have identified my life with Jesus, that I was once dead in my sins, but I've been made alive and new in him. I now have a Trinitarian. An identity that I once was not a child of God, I am a child of God. I once was not a servant of Jesus, but now I am a servant of Jesus. I once was not indwelt with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, but now I am sent as a missionary of God. It is this, it is this, this kind of massive identifying marker in our life of, say, of faith of saying, I identify myself as a child, as a child of God. Baptizing, teaching, right, giving away what Jesus taught. And so I'm not up here making up things to teach. We teach from this book, we teach from what God has given, teaching them to what to observe all,? Right? Not some, not partial, not kind of my take on it, my bent. teaching them them to observe all that I have commanded.? Right? And so to observe all, full obedience. So again, why do we do this? So we have a master of the mission. We have an activity of the mission. So why do we do this? Psalm 23, you might know it. It's probably one of the most common Bible passages in all of Scripture. Reads, just read the beginning of it. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Now this sounds really good. It feels really good, doesn't it? This is all about me, right? He's my shepherd. I don't need anything else. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That sounds nice, doesn't it? It's wonderful. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. We live in a society and a culture, and in a world. I think that the very grit of, of our brokenness in this world is life is easy to make it all about ourselves. So the activity of this mission it hinges on one thing: is have I ever turned my eyes to saying my life is not for my sake, but my life is now bent for His name's sake for his fame, for his renown, for his honor, for his glory. This is how I'm going to live my life. The object of the gospel not being me, but the object of the gospel being God, that God didn't just save me so I could go to heaven. God saved me so that I could be renewed and made in his likeness and engage in his mission in this world and one day enjoy him and his presence forever with my life. God wants to use us. As we live for his name's sake. So then, how does this play out? How does this play out? So Jesus gives this commission, right? He says, this is like, I'm the master of this mission. I have all authority on heaven and earth to give it. I'm going to be with you as I do it. So what do you do? We we make disciples, we receive and we grow in our faith and we give it away and we baptize, we teach, we observe all and we kind of move toward this. And so he, he gives this like command and then there's a result. And sometimes we don't connect these things. So the result is, they go into the upper room, they wait, the Holy Spirit falls upon them, and they go out. Peter preaches the second best sermon ever. This one's pretty good. No, uh, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Peter preaches the greatest mes- sermon outside of Jesus, maybe ever given. And the first Christians, like post crucifixion, ascension, emerge. Acts 2, 42 through 47, it describes this kind of community. It says they, they were breaking bread daily in their homes. They were committed to, to the prayers, to the disciples' teaching. And I mean, could you just imagine that, that, that Peter is sitting there and he's like, okay, so we were walking along the road with Jesus and he touched a tree and it died, like it just straight died. And then like, we didn't know what happened. And the next day he, he told us this. And, and when we were there, he spit on this dude's eyes. It was crazy. Jesus literally spit on this guy's eyes. And he touched him. And the guy said, I, I don't see clearly, but I see better. And Jesus touched him again. And he says, I see, I see now clearly. And then they began to teach. They would teach these, all these things to Jesus. And then they will, would go back and say, in and, and Isaiah 53, what was spoken of? Like Jesus accomplished it, you missed it. And now repent and turn in faith. I mean, all these things were their teaching. They were, they were teaching. They were meeting at homes. They were breaking bread. They were in prayer. They, they had everything in common. They gave to one another as each had need. I mean, this is this incredible community that was Christ-centered. They, they were mission-minded, that they, they, had, they had common purpose and direction of the extension of the kingdom of God in this world. And they had these familial communities. The churches were formed. They didn't need buildings. They they didn't need structures. They they just needed Jesus with them as they were meeting together. And as they did, millions and millions would come to faith. With simply twelve men that believed there was a master of the mission that had clearly drawn lines of the activity of the mission. So the results of the mission, again, they were Christ-centered, they were mission-minded, and they had familial communities. See, I believe that order matters. I believe that order matters, and I believe this order is really important. So I'll give you three ologies that I think are really important. I think our Christology is Really, really important. Show me someone who's angry and ticked off. I can show you some emails I've received over the years. And I'll show you someone who's lost sight of their Christology. They've, they've lost sight of their Savior. Hung on the cross for their anger. And gossip and rage and envy and rivalry. That's just not in the church. That's all the world. Our Christology matters. It shapes and it forms us more than how we think and how we act. Our missiology. See, our Christology informs our missiology. So this, our missiology isn't just about like whatever you want to do. This is about God like moving with power and his, and I believe God is a missional entrepreneur unlike any else and I believe he will give each of us dreams and visions and ways to do things that that we never think are possible for us to do. But our Christology informs our missiology, and our missiology is founded in this text in Matthew 28. The mission of God is to make disciples. The mission of God is to make disciples. And I believe that Leah, example, sorry, Leah, talk about you. Leah works at Rahab. She helps girls that, that have been entrapped in slavery get out right here in Northeast Ohio. And her, I know this for her, her big deal is making disciples, right? That's what you do every day. That involves healing, that helps people get on feet. I mean, all skills in life, all these things are part of her kind like of bent of making disciples. It's very justice oriented, but at the core of it, it is obedience to this simple mission. Whether it's that or all kinds of other ministries, I can look around the room and point those out. This is the, this is the core, right? And so our, our Christology leads to missiology which then leads to our ecclesiology a right view of the church which I believe more than anything is the greatest reformation that we need in our day we, we say things all the time we've tried to remedy our house of this I still fall into it and get corrected by my children See, we don't go to church we are the church so we, I love, I love being at the chapel because we can say things like, we're going to the chapel. It's really easy, right? And I may be dealing with semantics, but I don't think I am. Because if we lose sight that we are the church, we'll never have to be the church. If church is a place I go, I can push away responsibility of being something in the day-to-day of life. See, I believe more than ever, they say every generation has a great heresy that they don't know. I believe one of our great heresies of our day is that we truly believe the church is a place, not a people. We might be able to semantically say it right, because no one's shocked, I don't think, of what I'm saying right now. But it doesn't matter how you say it. The question is, how do you live it? And if we don't live as the church in our society, we'll never fulfill the great mission of God that he has commanded. I believe our Christology leads to really healthy missiology, that leads to really healthy ecclesiology. And the good news that we are in CC is I believe this church has really good Christology. I believe this church has really good missiology. And I believe this church has really good ecclesiology. And may we never depart from these things. May we never lean toward the left or right, but might we stay center on our Savior his great mission that he has commanded us to until we, see, until we meet each other around his throne. And, and may we never stop being the church every day to everyone. So the question this morning, are you motivated by the one you love to fulfill his mission in this world by being his church in the everyday of life? <clears throat> If you will, bow this morning. I'm going to lead us into a time of prayer and then we're going to sing in response. This morning, before I pray, with your heads bowed, eyes closed, I just want you to consider, have you surrendered yourself to the master? Maybe even briefly before we sing and just in this pause, Just freshly say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I believe you have all authority. And I I know that I'm in desperate need of your presence. This morning, as you continue to pray, maybe you could surrender yourself to his mission. Saying, Jesus, I have... Maybe, maybe you're re- reaffirming it, saying, Lord, I, I made this commitment a long time ago, but I make it again today. My life is for you and your mission, not my own. I surrender myself to your good mission, your great mission. Maybe for you, you've made your life about yourself, about your own wants and your desires, not about his of making disciples. And you simply say, Jesus, forgive me for making life about something other than you. Living for my name's sake rather than your name's sake. Commit today, freshly say, Jesus, I commit to living for your name's sake. Maybe last simply say, Jesus, I want to be your church. Help me. Help me to no longer see the church as a place I go but something that I am a participant in. That I'm a part of. Help me to see myself as the church. Jesus, I pray and I ask this morning that you would help us to respond well. You'd help us to look inwardly, recognize the seasons we're in. Help us to to see the fears that surround us and consume us at times. Jesus, help us this morning. to consider for truly that multiplicational kind of person that you want to make. And help us to respond appropriately as we sing this song. Jesus, we believe that you are everything, that you have all authority on heaven and earth, that your presence goes with us. Help us to engage in your mission And help us to make the commitments needed to be your church, part of your movement in this world. Lord, we thank you for a church like North Canton Chapel that believes in this and it's embedded far beyond leaders but in the depths of so many people in this room. Lord, help us to freshly lay these things before you today as we are reminded of your great commission. The person who doesn't know you, help them turn in repentance and faith today so they may know you, Jesus, and worship you. Strengthen strengthen all of us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.